Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Everybody, we're back. Welcome to season four of the Undermine Podcast by Osiris Media. And I am Tom Marshall, your host of these proceedings. And here we are at episode 30, a few shows into the wonderful fall 97 tour where fish destroyed America. In fact, November 1997 at the University of Illinois is the fifth show of the tour. They'd played two shows in Colorado. Um, just prior to this. And RJ and I were thrilled and delighted to talk on the last episode about one of those shows with the man from fish himself, Trey Anastasio. And I'm very pleased to say that again, I'm here with the placid, but deadly chief executive of Osiris, my co-host RJB. (laughs) Wow. That was just too much. That was too much. Thank you, Tom. Um, well, as as you well know, or or if you don't know, you will know now. This was my first Fall '97 show. This show in Champagne on 11 1997. We have a good guest here to discuss the show. It was a real barn burner inside of an actual spaceship. So we'll have to get into that. But uh, first, if you're enjoying what we're doing, please consider supporting our new Osiris Premium offering. We have a lot of stuff for you. You've heard us talk about it before. OsirisPod.com/slash/premium, and you can support what we're doing here at Osiris. And we are all booked with all of our guests for all of these Fall 97 shows, but we want to hear your memories too. So send us a video clip of you talking about the show of your choice and make it 60 seconds max. Post it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, tag Pod, and you could win a wonderful prize, which is handwritten lyrics of the song Ghost from Tom Marshall. Thomas, who do we have on the show today? 
Um, sorry, you threw me because I was just trying to remember what the lyrics for Ghost were. Um, <laughs> uh, put on the spot. Uh, I'll have them right by the time I write it down, I hope. Um, today, we are very, very pleased to have as our guest, Andy Kahn. Andy is the editorial director of Jambase, and I'm going to bring him in from the waiting room right now so he can talk to us. Andy, hello. Hello. All right, Hi you guys. made it. <laughs> welcome, yeah, yes. welcome, welcome to Undermine, Andy. Um, I I have a quick curveball question right out of the gate for the editorial director at Jambase. What's the most exciting thing happening musically in the world right now or recently? You know, the current big topic around the Jambase water cooler. I'll tell you, it's King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Um, they they are on the tips of everybody's tongues. They're on everybody's headphones. I think half of Jambase is going to see them tonight at Red Rocks. Um, they just really seem to have caught fire. It only took them 25 albums or whatever to catch on. But <laughs> In three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they, they are definitely the, the, the talk of, of Jambase these days for sure. Cool. And rightly so. And rightly so. Yeah, yeah. And I, um, you know, I'm always late to the to the party and uh, I have yet to really jump in. RJ kindly has sent me a few cool things to listen to and, and Trey too. And oh, cool. uh, yeah, all sounds excellent. Yeah. Trey loves them. And he says he's jealous of them in a way. Uh, just because yeah, I think you just saw so him out in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Andy, um, there's a rumor that you were at this show in November, 1997. Um, could you quickly bring us up to speed on your fish journey up to this point? Yeah. So, uh, I was there, I was 17 years old. I was freshly 17 years old, uh, wow. a junior in high school. Um, it was probably around my eighth or ninth time seeing them at that point. Uh, I saw my first show actually, in Champaign at Assembly Hall in the fall of 95. Um, I was uh, 14 years old at the time. Um, so wow. I managed to, you know, as I got a little bit older, got my driver's license and whatnot, was able to, to catch them whenever I could around the Midwest. And uh, so, yeah, so the I, I saw Alpine and Deer Creek in 97 and then did the uh, Champagne show. And then I actually then went and saw them in Detroit uh, on the fall tour as well. When, when, when you were 14, did you have a cool like older brother or older friends or something? I was going to ask the it? same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I had uh, my, my cousin, Stacy, my older cousin, Stacy. She actually took me to see the Grateful Dead when I was 13. Um, and, Shout out to uh, Stacy. <laughs> yeah, and uh, her her and her boyfriend Kevin took me to to see the Dead when I was thirteen, and then the next year I went back to see the Dead with my mom. So she she's uh, definitely a cool in, influence, and uh, and then a few months later I saw Fish for the first time. So my my fourteen was a pretty uh, formative year for me. Awesome, that is great, Andy. And th this was the first show um, for me of the fall tour. I was in college at Ohio State, and and we drove oh, cool. to Champaign and. Um, first of all, the crowd was, was just raucous from the start and it comes through on the tapes pretty, pretty heavily. Mm -hmm. Um, but also I mentioned earlier, like it really, assembly hall really does look like a spaceship, like not, not, not in the same way that Hampton does, but right. it, when I remember walking up there and being like, what the hell is this place? And then going in and we were like the first row off the floor and it just, in my memory, it was just a total party from the very time moment the lights went out um 
what's what's your memory of kind of you know going in and and also just like the the start of that show I remember being very, very excited to be back at, in Champagne. Like it was where I had seen my first show. So I was having lots of flashbacks and memories to that. And I also do definitely remember there just being a, a heightened sense of, of excitement. I think the, uh, you know, it was their first time back in the Midwest in a while. Um, we had been hearing things, you know, obviously the, the internet wasn't quite what it was back then, but we still had Andy Gadiel's fish page and stuff. And, and, and so it was like, we knew there were some cool things happening. They had just played farmhouse on Conan. So it was like, we were ready for something big and, and it definitely seemed like they they were too. Yeah, that's a great, that, that, yeah, th- there was something about that, the era. I mean, it just felt like there was a, uh, there was just, there's something in the air and, and, uh, you know, fall shows are so great and fall shows indoor in the Midwest are in my mind anyway. So some of the best, um, it's interesting because in the fish book Trey is quoted as saying that he didn't like one of the sets from this show, which I, when I was listening back to it this time, I was thinking like, first of all, which set was it? And, <laughs> and also I disagree no matter what. Um, yeah. cause I, I think the whole show is pretty great, but, um, we, we should get into that because I'm, I'm curious if you have any, any theories about that, but, because the the show really starts off. I mean, the the Julius and the bathtub gin into Lama with this just like amazing transition between bathtub gin and Lama. It's it's just all this stuff is kind of burned into my memory. But um, well, tell us what's what are some of your highlights from the first set, and which set do you think Trey was talking about? I really hope it's the first set. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean it's the but, only one that it's the only one that it logically kind of makes sense. I didn't know that until uh, we started talking about this show specifically and going back and listening to it. I kind of did get the sense and also just the large number of songs in the first set compared to mm-hmm. the second. Anyway, I was thinking like maybe Trey, you know, keeps trying to keeps trying to find the one that that's satisfying him for some reason not realizing that every single one is satisfying us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, obviously the, the bath of gin stands out to me. It's, it's really, I love early first set jams. You know, I like when they, when they bring the improvisation early in the show and it's also not exactly typical of other fall 97 jams. Like it, it, it definitely Trey finds the wah wah pedal at the end of the jam and, and, and gets into the funk. But for the first eight or 10 minutes of it, it's, really that sort of melodic uh, uh, guitar driven playing that, that really is not what you think of when you think of fall 97. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We, we talked about that a little bit on a couple of the previous episodes. Um, we're only a couple shows into the tour, but it's come up already just how balanced the playing was. I mean, we, we associate this tour so much with funk, you know, and of course yeah. it's there, but but it's not, it's not all that. And this is a, that's a good, that jam's a really good example. And I guess, yeah, now that, now that you mention it, Tom, there are, there are some things, a little bit of up and down, but that's the segue between bathtub gin and llama. Like you can hear them sort of like mm-hmm. playing Mike. It, it's almost sounds like Mike's kind of playing llama on the bass for a little while and, or like a prelude to llama before they just charge right into it. And it's man, really, uh, really, that's a pretty great segue. There's a lot of them this tour.
I also love the the fee and the antelope and with the the meat stick in between or whatever it was. I remember at the show we didn't know what Fishman was singing when he was singing the the little meat stick rhyme and I think we all thought it was he was singing run like an antelope or something like he was like signaling that and I love the also the end of fee, the little harmonic jam that they go into that leads into that meat stick part. It's just, I think it's really beautiful and 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 a fun part of the show too. Yeah, maybe that was maybe that point in the set they had found their their groove because I agree. I think that that little jam is 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 really just I don't know. It works so well, and all this like I said earlier, it's all kind of like burned into my brain. So every time I hear it, I'm just like, this is so great. But we hadn't. We hadn't heard, we only heard Meat Stick up to this point as a song once in Europe in June. And then we wouldn't hear it again until, what, 99. So it wasn't like a, wasn't part of the repertoire, but it was definitely, it was definitely happening within that that jam. Right. And I remember it showed up on the Bearsville studio tapes that circulated too. I remember when that came out, then we kind of started piecing together what Fish had done in, in Champagne and everything. <laughs> it's fun. They gave us little, little clues. Um, Tom, there is a 10 minute limb by limb here in the first set. And this is when limb by limb is really starting to kind of like come together as a, as a song. Um, it, it really like filled out a lot of really cool points in these, in these shows It had debuted earlier in, in June of 97. Um, where did that song come from? Um, <clears throat> so this, the the demo is available on that trampled by lambs and pecked by the dove um album which was consisted of three or four um barn writing sessions in vermont that Trey and i did uh early 97 maybe one of them was in 96 uh but the um the lyrics started earlier and grew from the single idea in probably late 96 i sent a co-worker of mine at at&t uh in somerset new jersey an email that read Never want my hand cut off. Never want a hacking cough. Um, uh, never need a cliffside push. Never turn my brain to mush. And fortunately, that coworker was Scott Herman, uh, and he was used to getting <laughs> weird emails from me. Uh, so he responded with then because everything was never in mind. He responded with always, and it was like always give me what I lack. That that stanza. Um, and then I responded with left. Like left is where I always turn. And then he responded to that. So now we have three stanzas, like, you know, never, always, um, left. And then he sent me probably some of my all-time favorite fish lyrics, the up lines. And each one is very clever and hilarious. Um, up against a person who up till now I never knew, up from hell, the answer blue up or down, it's up to you. <laughs> and I, I loved it. So those four stanzas were the complete poem that Trey saw. And um, Trey had come up with this great drum track with a bass riff, you know, the famous limb by limb drum beat that we all know. He had yeah, come up with it. inhumane drum beat, right? Inhumane. And he had come up with it. Um, this might be giving away the secret, but he he came up with it on a new drum machine or keyboard that he had. Um, and I remember him saying, this is such a hard drum beat. I could never play it, but Fish will love learning it. And Fish learned it note by note, note by note. Um, and I bet there's some beginning drummers out there that can verify that it's probably close to impossible. And Fish has always been he enjoyed a challenge and Trey always enjoyed challenging him. Trey would sometimes 
play um, one track of drums and then play another on top of it. And he'd say, don't tell Fish that this is two tracks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so Trey came up with those uh, that cool strumming guitar part, the choppy, and we sang those lyrics on top of it, of the drumming and strumming, and, and we were laughing. Um, but then he said, we need more. And he wrote an intro, and I just sang, like, this shoulder that I leaned on is carved out of stone. That was the intro. Um, and then he grabbed a completely different poem of mine. I think I had called it Trampled by Lambs. Um, and he created another section with those lyrics and Trey works fast. And I remember loving the song and I was like the engineer cause Trey had like the concept that he just wanted to put down fast. So I was like pressing play and rewind. We had an ADAP machine, I think, or a ta the TAC version, um, of a digital maybe. Yeah, that was our, yeah, those were the ADATs I think back then. But anyway, um, pressing like rewind, play, operating the mixer, and trying to be like a, a, you know, the engineer and Trey just putting parts down really fast. And it, it came, came about really quick. Anyway, great collaboration song of me, uh, Trey and Scott Herman. That's uh, my, so friend, my friends and I use the, uh, left is how I always turn line quite often. It's like, whenever, <laughs> where are we going? Well, left is how I always turn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. And I'm this glad. wasn't the first time you had randomly sent Scott some, lyrics right no certainly he not was expecting it, it uh yeah yeah i think he expected it daily uh and anytime i was bored at work which was all the time i would send him something so that's why we had just a a, a buttload of stuff um rj um uh, i do want to ask something now that i'm thinking about it um you were very excited to get to this show right like extremely <laughs> maybe too yeah. excited yeah we were uh yeah my friend and i my friend had uh inherited some money and got a BMW M3 with like the Dynan, you know, the Dynan like supercharged engine. I mean, this is first of all, for an 18 year old, this is totally inappropriate to have this car. But um, I was driving from Toledo to Columbus to meet him there to, to then leave to go to Champaign. And I was going through this one area where the speed limit was 25 and I got a ticket for going 60 in a 25 and I had no idea that I was even going that fast because this car, like you couldn't even drive it under 25 miles per hour. Cause once you press the gas pedal, you were going 60. And, um, I think because the car was so fancy, the cop like actually thought that I was like, I, you know, I think I would have gotten in more trouble if it was a crappy car, but because it was like a nice new fancy car, he just gave me a regular speeding ticket and sent me on my way. And, um, I, it was just way too powerful for me. And then kind of like the show, the show is kind of way too powerful for my brain, but I made it on time thanks to this overly fancy <laughs> car. And I never drove it again because I was basically afraid to, um, <laughs> nice. it, it was, it was wild, but, uh, but worth it once you got to the show. Yes. Um, any more, uh, any, any other thoughts about set one? Cause we can take a break and talk about set two when we return. What do you Let's think, do Andy? Take a break. I think the break's good, yeah. Okay. Then we'll we'll be back and talking about the amazing second set when we return after this quick break. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. 
More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, distrokid. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week, I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. And we're back. We're here with Andy Kahn to talk about set two of November 19th, 1997, in Champaign, sorry, Champaign, Illinois. RJ, take over. So, Andy, you mentioned you were at the at the '95 show here, right? They played they played yes. three shows here: '95, '96, '97, all fall. And this was the yes. last time they would play play at this uh, at this venue. I mean, I think we need to we need to bring bring fish back at some point. I would love it. Yeah, it's a cool place. Um, it, it's a it's one of those arenas too that feels small you know it like you feel like you're it, it's very like kind of tall and rises up and circular and so you kind of just feel like everybody's kind of leaning forward at the same time and watching it you know in anticipation yeah yeah the second set i mean so four song second set you know and just incredible incredible playing here um i i have some thoughts on this whole thing but andy what what's your um what's your I guess like highlighter or how do how do you, how do you think about this set? You know, when I think about it, I, I go first, I think to the Wolfman's, um, you know, I've, I've been listening back to it a, co- a couple of times over the past few days. There's the, the soundboard version of it. That's on one of the, the, the Denver live fish release as a yeah. bonus. Um, so it just sounds great. And, and I, what I, what, what struck me is that like, there's each member of the band kind of has a few minutes to shine. Like there's, there's a part where Trey's out in front, then there's a part where Paige comes forward. Then there's a part that's like clearly Mike in, in control and, 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 and fish starts laying down different rhythms that pick that they follow. And it's just really this, like almost, it almost made me think of like a jazz band where it's like, each person solos, but it's not soloing because they're all doing it together. It's just, there's one person that's kind of taking charge or, or being more assertive at, at, at times, but throughout the whole thing, it's just this really cool exploratory jam that unfolds in a really diverse way.
that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. I was thinking like when I was listening to it again today, like it just feels like they just kind of are cycling through different themes and ideas. And it's almost like mm-hmm. it's like a sound check or, or band practice or something, right. With each yeah. of them kind of like leading through a different, a different segment. Um, the 2001, the, I've said this a couple of times, but this, all this music is just totally like burned into my brain. Like he has the little like false start at the beginning of 2001. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's like 17 minutes of, of just funky jams, but without any slowing down, I think we've talked, we talked about the Europe early, the earlier this year, the Europe shows where they, the funk kind of started to, to appear. Um, but it was much more mellow. And this is just, the 2001, it just sort of slowly builds intensity mm-hmm. as it goes, goes on. Um, and it just feels like they're in like such control of this. Um, and then the Wolfman's is just, it's so out there. The the crazy part about the Wolfman's is like about 11 minutes in, it's like kind of slowing down a little bit. And then Trey just changes the direction completely. With, and he just starts like just playing these chords really fast. And then everyone just kind of falls in line. And then it just like, it kind of takes off from there. It just, it felt like it was, we were watching a band just, yeah, practice. Yeah. And the, the cool, uh, cross-eyed painless little riff that he throws in there too, that kind of, I think everybody, it, it helps everybody kind of find a new pathway and, and it steers them into another new awesome territory. It, it, it's really, it's really, a, a one of my favorite jams that I've seen live for sure. Yeah. We just we just talked RJ in another interview. I'm not sure uh, exactly what show it was that we were, we were talking to someone about, and you explained jam charts and oh, yeah. this this entire second set. Yeah, might be might be the only set where every single song is jam charted and the encore. Yeah, the encore. Mean, it's 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 <laughs> yeah. all it's all jam charted. Yeah, I mean this <laughs> even you know, Makisupa. Yeah, is, even, I mean the you know the four song second set it's it's got to be solid unless someone like you know unless they just left early but this is um <laughs> it's just amazing I, I love the 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 segue into Makasupa which is you know really you know in line with the the era um of being just like of funky funky but also what does Trey say dank dank kind yeah in the which is just so it's so nineties you know it's like it's oh, no, so. <laughs> Stink kind. Oh, stink kind. Yeah. <laughs> We're just like, it's very, it's very nineties. Um, that's like, I'm sure what we were trying to figure out in the parking lot before, you know, um, it's just, it's really great. Um, it's a really good version of, of Magasupa. And then this, and taste is just closes a set. I mean, really, I don't know. They're, and you, we've talked about this with, uh, with a couple of these jams, but they're just, there's just this build that keeps, keeps going, but it doesn't feel forced or um even overly intentional it just sort of like these jams just build slowly and then the peaks are really really cool it's a it's it's really fascinating to listen to
like a self-propulsion that tends that like takes over. It seems like, and the I like to use the term you know, the music plays them, and it seems like this show was definitely, particularly in the second set, there was a lot of that just you know letting the hose flow, you know, and, and grabbing it out of the air and having it having it show up for all of us to hear. I like the uh, also the idea that the audience is playing the band. Like you, you just said, the music is playing them. Audience, yeah. uh, it, it, like RJ had said, is, is so every tiny little sub solo or sub peak, they freak out. It, and it's mm-hmm. just, I think everyone was just absolutely, it was one of those perfect shows where the band and the audience is in sync and everyone's having an unbelievable time. And uh, during the possum, there's clapping along. It wouldn't be a, a fish show in the Midwest in the 90s without the, some audience yeah. clapping along. <laughs> really you have good, to participate. Really mm-hmm. good one, too. I mean, a really good possum. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah. that's the, I remember, Andy, I remember getting some, some Europe tapes and some uh, summer tapes, and I saw some summer shows, as you did. Um, what, what were your expectations going into this at this point? I mean, were you... Were you expecting to see what you saw? No, not at all. Although, I mean, I did see Deer Creek and that, you know, the I did see a four song set, second set there that summer, yeah, yeah. Um, the infamous uh, show. But, um, you know, I, I think really what I was into were, were the new songs, Dirt and Limb by Limb. Um, I had only seen them once before. I only had a handful of tapes with those songs on them. So getting to see those, I think, was something that I was really looking forward to. And then, no offense, Tom, I always say my favorite fish song is a 20 minute jam. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> getting, getting that heavy, heavy dose of, of improvisation in the second set was just exactly what I was hoping for and, 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 and I'm still searching for, you know, that's still why I keep going to see shows. None taken. but these are i mean these these songs that like dirt dirt which which again appeared in in june of of 97 and was played a bunch up to this point um and ends up you know being a a staple but that was that was new at this point along with limb by limb and there are a bunch of others that showed up throughout the throughout the tour um and for those of us who didn't get to see you know europe or didn't didn't hear all the tapes it was it was it was awesome to be exposed to a bunch of new songs while also just this, this brand new style of jamming. Um, Andy, in case we don't talk to you again, you know, for the rest of, of fall 97, what are you looking back 25 years later? Like, what do you see as the importance of this tour and, and how do you look at it, especially from a journalistic perspective? Like, do you have any perspective on kind of the importance of, of this tour for Fish's career? You know, Jambase did a, a retrospective for the 20th anniversary five years ago, and we had a bunch of different people write essays about each of the shows. And I think back to that, and I think to to just the way that there's the 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 fish community agrees that this was such a significant moment in their history, that these shows are special that there's that they're worth revisiting after 20 years after 25 years and that there there's a timelessness about them it, it's even though it is you know defining by the cow funk of the fall 97 or whatever it you could still listen to these shows over and over and over and they they have a lastingness to them 
that I, I don't really know that I find in a lot of the other eras. I, I find myself listening to Fall 97 way more than any other era of the band. It, it, it was formative for me. It was really early on in my sort of fish fandom, but, but not so early that I wasn't way into it, you know, and, and, and it just gave me the bug even more. Um, and, and like I said, it just stands the test of time, really. I think that's a great way uh, for us to wrap um, this up. But I have to mention that a coincidence, RJ, you mentioned your, uh, you know, the speeding ticket issue. And about three hours ago, I told our friend Scott Gray, who appeared on an earlier um, episode this season, that I was doing this show. And he wrote completely coincidentally um, just now without knowing what we're talking about. The Wolfman's brother from that show is dangerous to listen to while driving a sports car. <laughs> so I wonder if he got a ticket to, I asked him, but he hasn't answered. So oh, amazing. amazing. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I, I hope there's, I hope there's, I hope there's this. Yeah. Well, I hope he didn't get in trouble, but I, I hope he has a story because his stories are amazing. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. Well, that's it for us today. Uh, thank you so much, Andy Khan. And, um, Thanks for all you do at Jam Base and to all your all, all our friends there at Jam Base. Um, thanks to all you listeners and thank you very much, the Osiris team behind the scenes. Um, a quick shout out to Cash or Trade, the world's only social network where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Check them out at cashortrade.org. Please remember to review and subscribe wherever you listen or watch. Goodbye. And also remember to blaze on. Thanks, guys. Thanks, RJ. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks, thanks for doing Andy. this, Andy. So thanks long. for having me. Thanks, guys. Osiris. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris, and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.